Good morning. Our text this morning is from Luke 10, 38 to 42. You'll find this passage on page 869 in the Bible in the chair in front of you. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We continue in our looking at Luke, the Gospel of Luke, where Jesus interacts with people, creatively called Jesus and people. And so we arrive here at this situation with, uh, I think, fairly famous, Jesus, Mary, and Martha. Allow me to pray for us before we look at what the Lord has for us this morning. Father in heaven, I have to confess I've been a bit of a Martha in preparing this morning for worship. At times frantically worried about certain things and thinking about different distractions. And so I pray for my heart, I pray for the heart of everyone here that you would put us in a place more like Mary, that we would be content to receive what you have for us. I pray that you would guide me in my words, that you'd guide us in our hearts as we prepare to receive from your eternal word. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. So what do we have here? We have uh, a situation with this family. It's a recurring uh, family of friends of Jesus. Martha here has a sister named Mary. She also has a brother named Lazarus, who is the gentleman that Jesus will raise from the dead later in his ministry. And so let me give you an idea of what's happening here. Martha has received news that Jesus, the Messiah, uh, and his 12 disciples are coming to dinner. This is very likely a last-minute piece of information. And so you can imagine uh, all the stress comes out. But Martha, and who we learn who she is in this passage, she decides she's going to rise to the occasion. Despite this being an unplanned situation by Job, she's going to dominate. She's going to dominate this, all right? No one will see her weakness, and really we get to see her personality. Now, as I am understanding more about Martha, I'm really vibing with Martha, okay? Uh, The way she's reacting to this is very similar to how I might do things, and so what does she do? She steps into action. She pulls out her recipe for matzo souffle. Now, that's not really something at all. I just thought that sounded difficult to make, so I mentioned it. Um, But he enlists, she enlists Mary... Uh, in the serving of this complex dinner. It's going to require all hands on deck. So if you want to imagine with me, maybe a conversation happens something like this where, where Martha says, Mary, you're, you're on deck with me. We're going to be serving this meal. And Mary responds with, well, I was hoping to sit and listen to what Jesus had to say, the teacher, the Messiah. 
And Martha might respond with something like, well, absolutely me too, but someone's got to serve these people. Someone's got to serve these people. As the evening proceeds, Martha, we can tell again from the context, she is frantically performing, frantically performing. Most of the commentaries I read said that Mary likely was starting the evening helping Mary, but as time went on, she started helping less and less, and eventually Martha realized that Mary had not come back into the kitchen for a very good long time, and so what does she do? She looks out, and there's Mary, good old Mary, sitting down listening to Jesus. Now, if you can freeze the story in that moment, if you're like me, you might be familiar with this thought process. You have a choice in this moment. When you're frantically trying to perform, you can either take on shame, start blaming yourself for the failure, or start blaming others. That's really the choice. Martha chooses blame. I can't believe how lazy Mary is. You can hear the conversation in her heart and her mind. If anything goes wrong, you know whose fault it is? It's Mary's fault. We know that that blame turned to judgment because of what happens in just a moment. We start to see that she starts imagining how Jesus thinks about this situation. He is on her side, obviously. Obviously, at any moment, Jesus is going to tell Mary, get off your keister, get back in the kitchen. If you know what keister is, ask your parents. Um, Jesus gets it. He gets it. The problem is that moment never takes place. Jesus never corrects Mary and says, get back in there. And so while the blame certainly remains on Mary, her blame acquires a new target, and that target is Jesus. Her heart is saying, why isn't Jesus helping me get help? Martha's anger over the personal injustice boils over. Now, some of you in this moment, don't say amen to this. Some of you are thinking, go get him, Martha. Go get him. That's not good. That's not good. What does she say? Martha was distracted with much serving. She went up to him in front of everybody and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? You can see this in other places in the the Gospels as well, but people using respectful language. Peter does this fairly frequently. Respectful language of Jesus to be utterly disrespectful to him. She's reprimanding Jesus. And so we can see that the place that Martha has arrived in her heart is that Jesus is dominating Mary at her own expense. Jesus is part of the problem. And so she gives her evaluation, tell her then to help me. That's the solution that Martha's come to. Tell her, Jesus, tell her to help me. Now before we look at Christ's response, let's ask a question. What does Martha's actions reveal about her beliefs? I think that's an important question. We could just deal with like the symptoms of what's happening here. But really, if we dig down and look at what does Martha believe, we find something I think that's even more interesting. Martha obviously believed that what she was doing was what the situation required. She thought it was the best thing to do. She thought the best thing to do in this situation was to provide a complex dinner for Jesus. And so we can extrapolate from that and see that she believed truly that what Jesus wanted was her work. 
Jesus wanted her work. And if, if Mary tr- Martha truly believed that, what was she doing? She was creating her own version of what Christ wanted and valued. And what did that version of Jesus do? It created strife, division, confusion, hurt, embarrassment. In fact, the version of Jesus she created was actually stolen from her by Mary and, ironically, Jesus. I don't think we can have the kind of sympathy for Martha that says, well, she was just trying to do something nice for Jesus. It doesn't compute. That doesn't compute. Martha here had established a set of rules that even Jesus was subject to. That's what's happening. Those rules revolve probably around hard work, around reputation. They certainly involve some kind of reward or, or recognition for what she was doing. And so really what's happening is that Martha had placed her value, she had placed her identity, and what she accomplished, and I'm gonna put in air quotes, for Jesus, because I don't think it was for Jesus, and anyone that stood in her way, including Jesus, had become her enemy. That's what's happening in this situation. And so Martha, with her beliefs in tow, by telling Jesus, tell her to help me, don't you care, is asking Jesus to evaluate the situation. Huge mistake. And so Jesus gives Martha what she wants. He evaluates the situation, and of course Jesus gives a kind rebuke. It's a rebuke. It's kind. And Jesus, in his answer, he gives a diagnosis and a prescription. So let's take a look at verse 41, the diagnosis. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Diagnosis. The words here mean you're overly concerned and worried and bothered by a lot of things. A lot of things. Jesus might be saying to her, what you got going on? It's a lot, it's a lot. What he's saying to her is, listen, you've chosen a path. That path is highly complex. The execution of that complex plan is more important than anything. And Jesus sees what's going on in Martha's heart. And what he's saying to her in this verse 41 is, listen, Martha, you cannot attain what you think you can attain through what you are doing. You can't get what you think you're going to get from what you've chosen to do. Then he gives the prescription. This is Christ's value statement. Martha has given her value statement. Mary, by her actions, has given her value statement. Here's Christ's value statement. He says, one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Mary's doing a lot of things including probably trying to listen to Jesus as she bustles in and out. And Jesus is saying, all the things you're doing, all the things you're trying to do for me, one of those things is most important, and Mary has identified it, and she's doing it. She's sitting, she's resting, she's listening. Sitting, resting, listening. What is Mary doing? She's simply needing Jesus. She's needing Jesus. She's not needing validation through her work. She's sitting before the one that she needs. What a powerful story. And as we turn to apply these things to ourselves, we're going to ask some of the same questions. We're going to hopefully receive some of the same corrections. And so let's just ask about ourselves. What do our actions in our lives reveal about our beliefs? Now, beliefs. Now, I think that this passage could be used 
uh, to allude to like the, the busy 21st century Christian life. And, and it could be used to say, uh, you know, uh, would we benefit spiritually from making more time in our lives for spiritual things? I certainly think we could probably get there, but the, the context of this passage actually requires a more specific teaching than that. It's not just about general busyness. Both of these ladies are doing something for the Lord, or one is doing for the Lord, one is receiving from the Lord. And so the context here, and the better question is, what in the way do we interact with the Lord does that reveal about our beliefs? Are we like Martha? Here, a couple questions. Are we like Martha? Where her service, the definition of service for her was the outcome accomplished by maximum effort. Do we, like Martha, find our value, find our identity in what we accomplish? Now, as we are talking about serving the Lord, that can either be quantitative or qualitative. And so let me give you some examples. Quantitative would be, I must do the most or be the best. An example of that might be, well, I'm going to read the whole Bible this year, even if I get nothing out of it. You see, that's like a, a, a job to do. Boom. A badge to wear. Qualitatively, I think this happens probably more frequently is, well, good Christians do certain things. We believe this about ourselves. And so good Christians, sometimes people think, well, good Christians become pastors, missionaries, teachers. Those of you who know me know that's not true, right? Or good Christians have certain giftings. To the answer to the question, are we like Martha? The, the answer is almost definitely. <laughs> All of us are. And the problem with these things, church, is that eventually, like Martha, these things sour in our hearts they become badges of honor. And eventually, we start judging others, even God, based on these standards. That's the problem. And what in the end happens is we make enemies of others who don't do, don't think, don't feel like we do. That's the Martha way. Poor Martha, raked over the coals today. I don't think she minds. The other question is, well, are we like Mary? And the answer is, well, probably not. Probably not. What, what is, what is the, the thing that is happening here? Mary is, is finding contentedness and quietly receiving from Jesus. It's uneventful. She's sitting there. <laughs> there's no expectations. There's no production. There's no major outcomes. She's just sitting and listening and receiving. As I am known to do, Dietrich Bonhoeffer has some thoughts on this. Quote him here, it says, to be silent does not mean to be inactive. Rather, it means to breathe in the will of God, to listen attentively and be ready to obey. Think about that. That is the posture of Mary in this story. Breathing in what Jesus is saying. Ready to do what he is telling her to do. So Jesus in this passage, he's correcting, he's redirecting Martha in two ways, and that's how we're going to finish up here, is looking at how we can be corrected and redirected in these ways as well. He first corrects and redirects her when it comes to where her identity or her value is found. And also, to express, he expresses to her the value of, in the role of Christ's teaching in her life. So let's take a look at this first. Let's talk about identity and value. The same thing Jesus is saying to Martha, he's saying to us, he's saying your identity, your value is not found in what you do, what you do. 
And there's two ways you can look at this. The good things we do, the bad things we do. But first, let's talk about identity and value. Now, you can write this one down, ladies, if you'd like. Jesus declares to Martha that her identity, her value, is not found in the kitchen. Can I get, I mean, I thought I'd get at least an amen a little bit. Um, but the more potent truth is this. Our, anyone's value, anyone's identity is not found in the work we do for Jesus. That's what Martha's telling her. Your value, your identity is not in what you're doing for me, Martha. This is a message all of us need to hear. I want us to think back to Advent. We were talking to the kids about about Mary, the mother of Jesus. Not this Mary, a different Mary. And what do we say? Mary, the mother of Christ. She was not chosen because she was special. She was special because she was chosen. Jesus is saying to Martha, your true value is in what I say about you. Your true value is in what I do for you. Jesus isn't condemning Martha. He's saying, Martha, you don't have to impress me in the most loving way that he can possibly say it. I love you already. I accept you already. As I mentioned earlier, there's two kind of aspects of this. First, our identity in Christ is not in our good works, which would be like a religious Christianity. There's a situation I run into frequently. I'm not going to use anyone's name. But it's a situation in which the thinking behind these statements or these interactions is untrue. And the the basic formula is this. If I could just serve in a particular way, then I would have value or my service would have meaning. That's Martha thinking. Here's some examples. Well, I've heard before, well, I only serve in nursery or I only teach children. What could be more important than those two things? I've also heard on the other end of the spectrum, if I could only serve in children's ministry, I would finally have value. If I could only teach a certain age group, if I could only do a certain ministry, will I only do this kind of ministry? And oftentimes it's not really funny, but interesting to me that many times people are talking about the same ministry in two different, very different ways. This kind of thinking that if I could only do this or if I, will I only do that? This is all sin-tainted Martha-type thinking. It's Martha thinking. What must we do, church? We must find contentment in our call because we're called to do it by Christ. That's where the value comes from. That's where the identity comes from. And so certainly we don't find our identity in good works, but it's important also this morning to mention that our identity is in Christ and not in our sin. Not in our sin. The scriptures make it very clear that while we were still sinners, what happened? Christ died for us. That was an expression of value, an expression of identity. Jesus declared his love for us before we were repentant by paying a debt on the cross for our sins. And so here's the truth. Here's the key that we've got to hone in on, on all of this. Our identity in Christ Our value is based solely on what we receive from Jesus, not what we do for him. Do you hear the difference there? Our identity and our value is based on what we receive from Jesus. That's the better portion. That's the thing that can't be taken away from us. Do you understand? Martha worked and worked and worked. And guess what? She was at some point feeling like this is not going the way I wanted it to. And so her value was taken from her. 
because of the the system with which she was evaluating herself. And Jesus is saying, there's some other way to calculate value and identity that can't be taken away from you. It's because it's based in who I am and what I say about you and what I've done for you. Christ redirects us the same way he redirects Martha to find the source of our value, of our identity. The second application is us recognizing Jesus expressing the value of receiving his teaching. Let me be vulnerable for a minute. I felt that this morning in doing my last minute prep for the sermon, but, but oftentimes um, when it comes to my devotional life, I, I'm a Martha. I'm a Martha. And what do I do? I am so anxious and worried about having a meaningful time in the word. I'm so busy doing my devotions that I don't actually hear Jesus in my devotions. Do you see how this connects? See how this connects? And so what happens in those moments, if you're anything like me, you arrive at that moment of, Lord, don't you care? <laughs> don't you care that I, I need something very specific from you right now? I need patience for my children. You see them, you know them. Ice cream all around. I need an answer for this pain right now, Lord. Don't you care? I need my marriage fixed right now. Don't you care? My problem, our problem, like Martha's, is what do we do? We create our own versions of Jesus Christ, our own versions of what we think Christ wants without really taking into consideration what Jesus wants. I know that's mind-blowing. And where does that leave us, church? It leaves us empty, angry, confused, bitter, alone. All those things. Kind of an adjacent thing, but I thought it fit here. An author that I enjoy reading, David Benner, says, we tell ourselves we can create other gardens in which to find soul rest and encounter love, but what we create are weed-infested gardens of compulsion and idolatry. Instead of rest, we get addiction and self-preoccupation, our restlessness grows as our hearts yearn for something both familiar and unattainable. And in this book, his remedy is trusting the perfect love of Jesus enough to just receive it. That aligns with this. As Bonhoeffer puts it, just breathing in the will of God, listening attentively, ready to obey. That's our better portion. It can't be taken away. Our source for our value, our source for our identity is not in what we do, church. It's not in what we do. It is found directly in what we receive from Christ. And here in the Lord's Supper, the Lord is, this is not my affirmation, it's just a declaration. He's so wise, he gives us this supper in which we can practice basing our identity in what we receive. Basing our identity in who we are and our value in what we receive. The Lord's Supper is this picture of Christ's unending grace toward us. Jesus has given us this symbol of his broken body and his shed blood to draw us again and again and again back to his feet 
It's almost like he's saying, hey, quit it. (laughs) Rest for a second. Just come and receive. And the beauty of it is we don't have to do any work to receive this sacrament. We have to prove our worth. The work and the worth of receiving is found only in Jesus Christ. The Lord's Supper is a practice of saying who I am, my value rests only in what Jesus Christ says about me and does for me. Our value, our identity is reaffirmed by this free gift, his body, his blood, his presence. And so this morning, who should participate? Who should participate? Those who believe that their value is only in what they receive. And so we can declare in this moment, yes, I'm a sinner. I can't do this on my own. I quit. That's great. That's great. Because there's only one person who can and who does and who has done it, and that is Jesus Christ. So if our our hearts believe in that, our mouths have declared that, we've been baptized, unified with God's family, guess what? You have an invitation and you are found worthy in Jesus Christ to participate in this gift, the Lord's Supper. On the flip side, if you have not received Christ in that way, If you are dead set on your work counting for something, this supper's not for you. In fact, there's some other work to do before it even makes sense to eat or drink. There's more important things to address. And the scriptures make it clear that to eat and drink when you're in that place, it doesn't just only make sense, it's actually a danger to yourself, false security and things like that. And so let us take a moment Let's pray quietly to ourselves. Let's maybe even take a moment to to give up the busy work that we do for Jesus Christ and prepare our hearts just to receive. I'll gather us back together with a prayer of blessing in just a moment. Father in heaven, it is so hard to believe that our value is not in what we do. We are performing people. Our culture says that our value is found inside of us. Our culture says that our identity is only declared by ourselves. And even as Christians, we can believe these lies that what we do for you, what we do for others, what ways we serve the church, what ways we serve you, these are the things that give us our identity, our value, and those things are lies. And so we ask for your help in believing the truth this morning that our value, our identity is in Jesus Christ. God incarnate, life perfectly lived, death on the cross in our place, risen on the third day in the greatest victory ever known to man over sin, death, and the devil, ascended into heaven to advocate for us before God the Father and to one day again return 
and gather us in. None of that has to do with what we have done. That's all his work. And so I pray this morning that this supper would impress that upon our hearts, the good gospel truth that our value and our identity is found only in Jesus Christ and that we would find relief this morning from the burden of performance and as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we would find rest at your feet. I pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.